0: Yeah, I don't quite know what to do with this, but welcome, everybody, uh, to the second episode of what's called Guilty Pleasures, and our podcast is Maison Scene Weekly. I am Jonathan Lee, your co-host, sitting here with Stephen Rankin, the other co-host who's sitting on Mountain View, (laughs) California time. I'm in the New York quadrant of things, if you will, but we have come today to discuss two films. Now, last week, we discussed twist endings, pitting two films against each other, such as... Planet of the Apes and Wicker Man, and you know you can go and watch that film. But those films. But with that being said, I wanted to get something very interesting on the first uh, few weeks of the platform here, and so we have decided to a here. Here are the the rubric. Here's the rubric for our conversation today. The movies themselves had to be at least twenty five percent or lower. I should say nineteen percent or lower on Rotten Tomatoes. Now you can have your own debate on whether or not this is a good rubric to have to begin with, but Start your own podcast to discuss that, and then secondarily, uh, and the more important part is a movie you, in fact, just loved to death, or or just held dear and near to your heart, whatever it might have been. Who knows? But Jonathan Lee, Stephen Rankin, we're here to discuss guilty pleasures, and that's the name.
1: Yeah, and I'm really I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, it's because it's you know you could take there's so many movies I guess that uh, you grow up with and you have these rose colored glasses of like what what it is and and how, what it means to you and at the time you know y- you look back at the reviews and the the critics just shit on this movie and you're like what what did i see and what did they see and how is this not correlating you know what i mean so i do
0: it's, know it's, what you it's mean. a it's a,
1: fun, it's a fun endeavor
0: it's a tough endeavor because getting to a movie that actually is less than 20% is uh, A, it takes a universal <laughs> Uh, not necessarily a hatred but a universal agreement that the movie generally sucks at least to some extent now whether or not you think it sucks hence the reason we're having this discussion to begin with we can debate but I have, at first and I don't know what the percentage would be I wanted to actually choose the beach because I for whatever reason I have loved the beach since it came out uh, and I don't know if it was just the the idea of wanderlust and trying to travel the world and Europe that young, aged uh, perspective in life that anything can pr- pretty much happen and or does. And, um, you know, there's some video games issues that people with there, but I love the beach. And uh, what
1: that, was the what was what was the Rotten Tomato score on the beach?
0: If I had to guess, I'm going to go ahead and say it was 13 percent. I don't want to. Look OK, it so now.
1: it's the rubric. It's low enough.
0: But maybe it's not. Maybe it has changed. No. But I'm, I'm fairly certain it's, it's lower than 20 percent because uh, that's the whole reason I wanted to have this discussion to begin with. And as you can see, uh, again, I, I have forgotten my my lights camera in action. Uh, clearly, wasn't set up for this. Uh, or podcasting. Really. Yeah, you
1: need the lights. Yeah,
0: but I, I do have movie posters, that you can tell. You uh, can't really <laughs> tell them that well. Memento would be uh, over here. Stalker. Uh, Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown, um, Mighty Clarks on the Holy Grail, and Old Boy.
1: You know what? Those, those are all great movies. And I feel like this podcast is, is a podcast where we're going to be talking about universally loved movies. But today, today is not that day. Today we're talking about pretty much universally hated, despised movies, which I think is going to be fun.
0: I hope. I mean, we'll see. But I think it's going to be guilty as charged anyway so
1: i like what you did there
0: i got nothing but trouble i did not choose a movie for steven he did not choose a movie for for me Uh, we we chose these for whatever reason and we'll get into it for a second or or an hour i would say uh to figure this out and ultimately if we ever do have a guest we need to decide who's going to be winning this but clearly i'm going to be winning this this round (laughs) so i'll give you some back backdrop of nothing but trouble I have copious amounts of notes. I didn't know this was going to hit on my heartstrings as much as it has. And uh, I would say this this movie inherently has influenced my life far greater than I ever expected it to. Uh, and looking back now, I, I haven't seen it in probably mm, – <laughs> It's been a long time, two decades at minimum. Wow! Strangely wow. enough, I actually have and own. I own both movies, but I do own Drop Dead Fred. I was twenty six minutes into it when I um, stopped, uh, just about six months ago. I actually looked, so I've actually seen it uh, a couple of times recently. Now, nothing but trouble. A ninety three minute movie that is just uh, absurdities upon absurdities, and I will get. It's to- it's bonkers. Yeah, it's there's bonkers. no there's no other way to put it. Dan Aykroyd is the director. His brother Peter actually wrote the the script uh, for the movie itself. I'm sure Dan had a a strong uh, telling of it. I think it came out in February '91. Your Drop Dead Fred came out uh, in a few months after, I think, in, in May or June of '91. Of so both '90 yeah, movies. that's
1: that's That's funny. Like we we both. I mean, we didn't plan this, but yeah. you know, we sent our 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 our, our personal guilty pleasures uh, at the same time. And yeah. Lo and behold, nineteen ninety one is is the year that uh that, that, that holds true. Just
0: a few months apart. I guess they were making really shitty movies in ninety one. <laughs> what else what else has been made? So yeah, it's a PG thirteen flick, even though uh you feel like afterwards you've you've been um probably visually molested. Actually you have verifiably been visually molested. It's in the comedy horror theme of things. It's got a fifteen percent on Rotten Tomato, and boy did it do horrendously at the box office. It was Attempting, as you might imagine, for the character uh, set that it that is chosen, and the friends of Dan Aykroyd, uh, to be a big thing, to be achievable in terms of like maybe a monetary achiev- achievability, but uh, yeah. 8.4 million in the box office with a 45 million dollar budget. <laughs> That's
1: not true. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I looked into you know the, the 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 kind of the making of of this film, and it was funny because you know Dan Aykroyd was coming off a, a you know a giant success with Ghostbusters. He had he had all the I guess the 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 capital to you know to make anything that he wanted, and you know he wanted to make nothing but trouble. And you know they gave him 45 million dollars to spend on this movie, and it 40. just... Yeah, 40, 40. It yeah. went to 45 though.
0: It did. They were $5 million and this is, I'm, I'm getting uh, a little ahead of myself, but they, they had 40 to begin with. They were over budget because they were buying too many toasters. And so, and like, you know, the dog getting well ahead of myself, but the fact is the house, which I'll describe in a second, uh, again, I don't want to get ahead, but because of the purchasing of various items to make the house look like it does, uh, it, it yielded another five million uh which everyone in and the entire warpath of like the producers and the the, everyone was like this is a terrible idea we're getting nowhere but anyway
1: well originally originally dan Aykroyd, you know they they wrote the script and they pitched it to john hughes he turned it down yeah uh they pitched it to john landis he just threw it away he's like no i'm not doing this dan dan ackroyd did not want to direct this but he's like i have nobody else yeah and this is his what i believe this is his first and only director directorial debut
0: keep in mind though that dan actually did eventually want to direct this his the entire origination behind this movie is his idea of something that actually happened to him where he got pulled over in the northeast part of the united states he actually in the middle of the night got taken for like this trial uh very different kangaroo court (laughs) yeah i think what is the uh what is it? The circular district court or something like a revolving district court, I think is the name of, of the, court in the the movie itself. But anyway, we're getting well ahead of ourselves. Yes. The premise is this, and I'll, I will just read it while attempting to seduce gorgeous lawyer, Diane Lightston, who's Demi Moore, actually wealthy gadabout whatever that word is, Chris Thorne, Chevy Chase agrees to drive her to Atlantic city, New Jersey, as well as a, a couple other individuals who are married. Uh, and draws the attention of a, a very deeply, uh, concerning cop John Candy, so you can tell by the the, the cast, it's either going to be funny or 15 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and they have flamboyant b- b- Brazilian airs. Those are that's a defined term by, <laughs> yeah Brazilian airs. Um, who are fantastic for the the 43 or so minutes they they uh, they show up, and basically what actually happens in the kangaroo court afterwards. Uh, so Dan Ackroyd plays multiple characters, and so he's actually the judge himself. Um, took him an hour to get into costume, but he, he, uh, from, uh, my own small research that I did, he actually had not like a mental breakdown, but a physical breakdown of where he just couldn't direct anymore. And he actually, he told people when he was like, you know, uh, saying action, he just stepped back completely. Cause he was so exhausted. And he actually had at one point, the, um, uh, the characters and, uh, the actors direct themselves. So there's like, yeah, this is what I think you should do. But feel free, and they they would just do multiple cuts, and they're like, I don't even know where to stop. Like, what should we do now? And um, it just
1: became an improv game. That's that's what it became. Pretty it's much. Like, All right, just yes
0: and. So then, so then Dan actually actually had a conversation with John Hughes, who was originally gonna to take the film, uh, and John's like, What the fuck are you do? What are you doing? Come on, like get in there. Like you might be tired, but sure. Like this is. It's a movie and you have like valiant people on your movie. You should probably do something with this. And then he came back. Uh, probably got a few rest, but written by uh, Dan's brother, Peter. It also stars uh, Dan's father-in-law's young daughter. And then uh, the variety of producers that are, are in cameos, like uh, elevator men and, and things of that nature. But it's like, you know, he wanted virtually everyone in his existence to be uh, around him, I guess, at some point. Um, but Yeah. I, I'll i get into the premise uh, and I, for some reason, have to log back into my document to actually discuss exactly what's happening here. Um, Got to have the document. Yeah. yeah. So basically, Chevy Chase is drunk from a party. He does not want to actually go to Atlantic City as he promised the night before that he needed to actually take individuals to Atlantic City, such as uh, the Brazilianers, uh, as well as Demi Moore. And so when it came down to it, he wakes up and is about to leave, but does not want to, to take them anymore. He doesn't want to drive. He's too, he's too hung over. Yes. Let's pause so I can get this fucking... Oh, baseball. We're back. <laughs> Never doing podcasts again. So... Basically, the premise is that he doesn't want to go to a c he doesn't want to actually have interaction with people he's hung over it, so he gets his uh you know the person getting his car is saying, you know I think you should go to a c blah 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 turns around Demi Moore's coming out of the elevator and he thinks she looks fantastic. I clearly need to get back into the car so he does the Brazilianaires who had said the night before that they don't wake up before I think twelve. Uh, have been there as well, are extremely excited and really want to get after it. Um, and if I had some yeah, sound they bite, showed up. If I had some soundbite knowledge, I would be playing uh, some of the, their sound bites as of now. But and if you have it for me, please do it. So they drive very normally in a, a nonchalant way, discussing things of what you do, you normally do in a car for people or with people for hours, and ultimately they want to get. Uh, to AC, but Chevy is like, I'm out. We're here, but I'll I'll drive you in a nice roundabout way to uh, not go to AC, but ultimately you can see the countryside because the Brazilianers they uh they want to see variety.
1: They wanted to take the scenic route. They didn't want to just go down the pike. Yeah, they they wanted to
0: the the pike is see exactly the what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> what is it called? Like the Jersey Side Triangle or something. Like that. <laughs> The amount of shitting that movies do and people do on New Jersey for whatever it's worth is um, it's fa- it's fairly hysterical. It's like kind of life of its own. So, yeah, they take the, the scenic route trying to get there in, you know, a quick way possible. But also at the same time, um, they speed and uh, in, in the midst of speeding and also running through a very, very quick stop sign in the middle of uh, town. And prior to actually getting to the middle of the town was one of the funniest parts of the whole movie. And inherently I was, this movie has it just made me smile for literally the entire time. I was just like, have this weird quirky smile. That was like, this is so, so ridiculous. But when they get to Valcon Valkenvania, which is the the city that uh, everything goes down um, there, there's a stop sign that was uh, run by Chevy chase. But before that, there's a sign that actually says, uh, drive safely, slow down. But the picture that is on the billboard that it's listed on, it's got tons of dead bodies on the road with with, with sheets <laughs> <cheese laughs> over their faces. And it's just like this telling move of like, or else.
1: Or else. I was foreshadowing for sure. I mean, not very subtly, but it was foreshadowing of what we, what is- we were getting into.
0: There is absolutely nothing subtle about this movie in any way, shape, or form. If it's if it's got any type of campiness to it, it's like full campy. If it's got any type of cheese, it's full cheese. And any type of grossness, it's all in. Which
1: is awesome. that's the thing. Like, like that's that's one of the things that I, I found so endearing with this movie is they just leaned into it. they were like, all right, we're, if we're going to make this movie and we're going to do these things, we're not going we're not going to half ass it. We're just going to go for it.
0: And they, boy, did they win for it. They go for it. So it's based on, again, it's based on a real life situation where, where Dan got pulled over and, and he thought, you know, this would be a, a pretty funny movie of, uh, you know, somebody who's had some issues with the kangaroo court. And then secondly, there's, there's a second part to this and more of the origination. So the Blues Brothers, I think his name is Robert Weiss, the Blues Brothers producer or one of them, he actually went to um, the Hellraiser and I don't know if it was a premiere, but they went with Dan and him to Hellraiser and Robert Weiss actually laughed so hysterically that he broke a rib there at the movie. Never heard of this in my life, broke a rib. And then I guess they were all continuing to laugh about it after. And, and Dan was like, we should have a movie that is the inverse of this. It's like, let's do a comedy that is just horror. And so that, that's the origination of, of this movie. He got got pulled over in kangaroo court, which is uh, quintessentially the the major theme or a major focal point of this movie is that kangaroo court. And then secondly, the pulling over part. So it really is an effort. And that's John Candy, who is who is the. uh, I don't know, the holder of the upstanding holder of laws and the abider of laws. I don't know if you could call him a cop, but he is attempting to be a cop and um, he's a part of the family. And um, you know has a soft side to him, if you will. What was your initial thought, like you know, building up just the first like twenty minutes, like I,
1: I you know, I, I didn't when you suggested this movie, Nothing But Trouble. I had never heard of it. Okay, uh, it was it was it was outside <laughs> of my 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 vision here in in, in film history uh, for good reason, I guess. But um, you know, I, I I decided I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read the premise. I'm not gonna like look at a trailer. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna go into it. Without knowing anything, and I'm so glad that I'm so glad that I did.
0: You didn't know anything about it.
1: I didn't want to. So you didn't, I, I was you didn't like, you know, it,
0: like Dan Aykroyd, John. K- you didn't know even the car- like the actors who were involved.
1: I I, I did zero oh. research going into this. I mean, it just just it was it was mind blowing about like, how, like it was mind blowing just how bonkers this movie was, how this movie got made what was i watching what were they trying to 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 say what were they trying to do like i mean the jokes aren't i mean they're not they don't really land but they sit with you and, and kind of like a a weird did i just see that kind of you know instance it's just it's it's uh it's it's a crazy, crazy film.
0: It's a carryover from 1980s humor where there's like dad jokes, basically. I mean, the one example I can immediately think of is when Chevy Chase is inside of um, uh, the mansion. And he is, there's a bunch of like cuckoo clocks and he, he's walking by as, you know, being shuffled along and, and said, oh, does any, anybody have the time around here? And I was like, this is totally like a cheesy dad joke. A lot of that. There's a lot of that for sure that, uh, that I think the 80s really provided. Um, and really continued to the early 90s and kind of transitioned from the mid-90s to the mid-90s, I would say. But unbelievable that you did not know of this film and you did not know of anything prior to watching because (laughs) you must have like initially been thinking, wow, this cast is great. Like, you know, Demi Moore and Chevy Taste are drinking at the beginning. And then, you know, you can see John Candy being, you know, arresting everyone. And you're like, this is going to be awesome.
1: Oh, I thought, yeah, I thought the setup I thought the setup was going to be great. Like you have, yeah, you have, you know, these 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 movie stars, these comedy icons in their prime, mind you. Yes. 1991, you know, like you're coming off Chevy Chase with, you know, the, the vacation film, The Christmas Vacation. You have Read Dan Outdoors. Aykroyd yeah great outdoors like i said ghostbusters like you have all of these like great great actors great comedians and i'm like this is this is gonna be amazing yeah. and then i'm watching it and as as the story unfolds and as the the jokes are laid out and as the 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 gross out humor leans into itself i'm just like this i can see why that this was this was so repugnant <laughs> back then but i was loving every second of it
0: yeah me too <laughs> I don't know. I'll I'll get into it. But I would say, uh, as I I said before, this, it really um, tickled my heartstrings here because it kind of made me, it was um, therapeutic in a sense of like, I'm trying to understand kind of the complexities or lack thereof, of my own brain and why I like what I like. For example, I have a tattoo of, if I can even take this, an Alejandro Jodorowsky on my arm from, you know, the director of A Holy Mountain and El Topo. And, um, you know, I often as even to you, I was like, I love this movie. And then people watch it they're like, You're what are you okay? But yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'm okay. Um, but with that said, this is one of those movies where I think uh watching it at an early age, and I also think uh Money Python really influenced me to a, a strong degree, um that for whatever reason, in my own fortitude again or lack thereof, it really Influenced me to like other movies like this, and so I'll, I'll get to the more direct point of what actually happens, I guess, in dialogue and things of that nature. But they get arrested uh, not only afterwards of of not stopping at the the after the billboard that looks like everyone's been murdered, uh, foretelling I guess what's about to happen. They they get pulled over by John Candy, very pleasant cop, nice routine, of course, because he's John Candy, and they have to go to the courthouse to uh, you know speak before the judge after as well, um, they tried to get away. So they tried to speed away and they have a BMW and it was very prevalent and, and repeated that Chevy was basically being a whip. and he needed to evade the cop and they just couldn't do so. They were trying to get meander around a variety of, of different uh, dump trucks and construction sites basically and they weren't able to. They eventually got arrested. So,
1: well, even I mean, even the, you know, uh, John Candy and his cop car, he had he had different levers that he could pull to manipulate the the construction and, you know, divert him to where they wanted to go. I mean, it kind of all started there because you get into the house and that's just a, basically a, a mad fun house with levers and switches and things like that that we'll get into.
0: Boy, are there levers and switches in that house, uh, to say the least. So they, they are on trial and the trial itself, it, it appears that, you know, things are going to go a little more smoothly there was an intimation of somebody uh saying wedding and uh the judge's eyes and ears perk up and oh is there going to be a wedding and then actually it seems to be a a lot of foretelling in this movie but that was one of them but there's uh you know a nice judge-like platform that is uh preventing to see Dan Aykroyd in his costume he looks like a very grotesque monster he also has a penis for a nose and I,
1: Yeah, he, <laughs> that penis, I mean, it, it just kind of – He
0: looks like a monster. They
1: do a close-up on that. Yeah, yeah it's, like it's a grotesque it's
0: voice. It's harsh and uh, you just don't like to look at him. Everybody, He's
1: 106 years old
0: yeah, is what, he is is what
1: I, I believe. Yeah, he
0: is 106 years old.
1: <laughs> Hasn't retired.
0: <laughs> and at this point, I'm thinking um, because as they're meandering, they go across a bridge. It looks like a drawbridge. And it says, you know, like, uh, enjoy your stay in the back of the, uh, uh, the rear view mirror when Chevy's like, that seems a little strange. And um, there's a lot of junk. And as I said, they spent literally $5 million on this junk to like just fill this, these scenes up. But it makes you feel gross in it just and, and it really makes you feel in the, the mansion itself is Valkenheiser uh, Mansion, 90 feet tall in real life, by the way. They created a 90-foot mansion. Clearly, uh, they had aspirational uh, endeavors here. But my explanation of this is if Hunter S. Thompson, who was around at this time, were hanging out with, I would say, Dan Aykroyd and probably the Hellraiser guy, Robert, I think it's like they dropped acid. And what is the weirdest thing we could ever create? And then Dan just randomly talks about the time that he got pulled over. And then Hunter just gets involved and was like, you know what you should do? This is what you should do, and like that's what this movie is, and it's just an acid trip gone wrong, effectively, and and just meanders itself into this the weirdest parts of my head and probably your head, but it's on screen, so let's let's get into it. But they're five million over budget. They uh, have to say what they think to be overnight because um uh you know they have li- violated multiple laws. And that's where really the the movie starts. So not only do they, you know get tossed. I don't even want know what to call this, but it's it's a penitentiary of sorts. They get tossed in a, a jail-like area.
1: The, no, the the floor just he pulls a lever and the floor just drops out from under them and they fall into this pit of like broken baby dolls and
0: <laughs> lots of squeaking. Uh, lots yeah. of cr- like trolls, lots of things that you would see uh, if I guess a, a toy store went bust, and and Armageddon happened, and um, it's very creepy. And so, very creepy. Yeah, there's a lot of levers on that that organ of his. So he pulled the the one that was a, a little more generous. Uh, if you haven't had a violation of egregious laws, but it was fascinating. So the original intent was actually to be way darker and way more graphic.
1: Yeah. It was supposed to be rated R. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> And i would love to see the director's cut of this the rated
0: r version of it so they it would just be wild they it was more graphic and violent and they actually provided it to a test audience we're just like i guess the rotten tomato score would be like two percent they're like this is awful people were walking out and um throughout the entire movie Chevy. uh actually thought it was such a terrible movie and such a poor decision. And like, it, it was like the worst movie he said that I he would ever be a part of, but he just did it basically for Dan and his friendship. Yeah.
1: He did it as a friend. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of, I mean, he has this kind of air, air about him, this, uh, like, he's just, he doesn't want to be there, but it kind of works in it the movie well. like It
0: works <laughs> well. It works fantastically. So he, he actually said publicly in, in interviews after, like, I, <laughs> this movie sucked. Like it's not good. It actually was terrible, but everyone else actually was pretty kind uh, in reference to to speaking about it. But I I need to to make a very clear note. Um, this is Tupac's acting debut. When I w- look, John, when. What? what? That
1: scene came on and I was like what? six and Then I saw yeah, I saw Tupac yeah. you know, Mr. West Coast for life wearing a New York Yankees jersey. What? Like, like what is going on?
0: Hour six minutes. Uh, well, it, he comes on before then but you know, not to get ahead of ourselves but that one scene you're speaking to and I was like, clearly he has admitted that West Coast rap is uh, not as, you know, it's inferior to, to East Coast rap. And that's what I thought and I was like if you were Tupac, you know, this is 91 or 90 when they shot it but but you block? I mean, how can you wear that? Seriously, how did you wear that? And then just create a war. He was also the backup. Anyway, we will not get, get that in a little bit. He was like
1: singing. He wasn't even rapping. He was the, he was just he like, was the
0: backup singer uh, in a Yankees, Yankees uniform. Please, please do. Drop the beat, Jay. Been all around the world.
1: It's so '90s. It's it's like it's just it's great. That whole scene, uh, it was it. And you, you know who put that in there? Like there was a there was a conscious decision of like, you know, we need to have some kind of music in this film. And I bet it was Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd was like, yeah, let's let's get some hip hop in here. It's Hunter S. Thompson
0: <laughs> on acid. It's just like what is happening right now. Like we're in the middle of there. So. The middle of a courtroom for another person who got pulled over for violating various laws and uh he, what do you do for a living uh dan eckroy the judge is asking in his you know demeanor of looking ugly and has his penis nose and they said they're uh, they're a band they're a group and he didn't believe him he's like well uh where are your musical instruments and he said well it's in the car and he goes well good and it becomes a music video and they actually perform like a live concert in front of the judge who happens to know how to play the organ or piano and starts jamming out as if there's not a in session and nothing is actually happening, which is the, one of the more wild moments of the entire movie. It's like an hour and six minutes in. And Tupac is a backup singer and he, he lets them go freely.
1: But totally bizarre.
0: To go back to the totally original. Totally bizarre. Chevy and crew and Demi and, and the Brazilianaires are not uh, let go. And so they're, they're trapped, trying to get their, their way out. And uh, ultimately, they, um, they're having a, a, some trouble doing so. There is a maze in an effort of getting in and out and through the different types of tricks of the trade to, to get free. They don't yet know exactly what's going to happen to them at this point, but it's, uh, it's pretty ominous. And I think it really is, in my feeling at like thirty, forty minutes, and they're really setting up um, an environment for which I started to get on the side of the family, if you will, and I'll call them the family um, from now on, just as a collective notion. But like the family is these these psychopaths who basically just try to uh, bring people in who have violated the law and effectively murder them through their house or through through other means. And a roller coaster, maybe. The roller coaster is uh, what was that called? Uh, the Mister
1: um, Bone Crusher. Mr. Oh
0: yeah. So Mister Bone Crusher actually, oh,
1: Mister Mister Bone Stripper. Yeah, so I, I actually uh, have it listed, but
0: I, I I can't I can't see it now. But Bone Bo- Mister Bone Stripper was is fantastic because there was a party uh, who got pulled over after Chevy and, and everyone got um, quarantined, if you will. They have their own room with the trolls and the the squeaky dolls and Armageddon like uh, environment, and so. In the midst of them actually being provided dinner, which we'll talk about in a second, this other this other group of individuals who are also, I think, going to the AC are drinking, driving, have drugs, guns, and things of that nature, and then it- they have a
1: bag, like a five pound bag of cocaine. <laughs> <Yeah>. on <them. laughs> This is a PG thirteen movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just everything is over the top. I'm telling you, it's like nothing is normal, and so. They get pulled over, uh, go in front of the judge. They're not very nice, um, and they get sentenced to um, to death, effectively through Mr. Bone Stripper. Oh, here it is on my little screen. So, Mr. Bone Stripper basically is a roller coaster ride. Of course, you would have a roller coaster ride that leads to your death, and uh, it does exactly what you might think. It's it strips you of your bones and your flesh.
1: I did not. I did not think that was gonna. That, I mean, that was pretty dark.
0: <laughs> it wasn't.
1: As dark. And when I said. I mean, it wasn't, it, it was, it was, it wasn't gory, but it was gruesome. And yeah. like, you know, I thought they were just going to be kind of like thrown off a, a cliff or something like that, but no, they go through the chompers and then really? all you see get spit. Yeah. Which you, all you see get spit out are just a a, 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 machine gun of bone and you're like, oh, so those are the consequences of, of getting on the wrong side of the judge. Yeah. OK, now we know what the consequences are and what the, you know, the stakes with, if you will, for uh, Chevy Chase and company.
0: Yeah. And so, of course, the audience knows this Chevy and, and, and group do not. Uh, but with that said, it's funny because the the bones themselves are these like cheap plastic bones. It even sounds very plasticky. <laughs> and the, the it's the end of the ride. Is of a man's face and like his teeth, which are metal, are clamping down through a roller coaster of human flesh. And on the other side, it's like a conveyor belt that's like a machine gun shooting bones into a wall. And there's just a pop It's
1: Looney Tunes, man. Yeah. It's it's like it's like cartoon. That's
0: crazy. <laughs> I, I honestly just had a smile on my face the entire time. But uh, what was interesting, soon comes this character named Eldana. And Eldana is played by John Candy in drag for uh, his first. Occasion. That's
1: why she looked familiar. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Wow. Wow. That was John Candy the whole time.
0: But my favorite part of Eldana uh, and his other characters in drag. Um, this film, in and of itself, got nominated for five Razzies on the 14th annual uh, Razzies Award. And so the Razzies are basically the worst movies of, of that year in the 92 <laughs> uh, for 91 movies. And um, You don't want to win a Razzie. No, you it's, don't want to win a Razzie. Yeah. I mean, this was up for all, all of the Razzies. And uh, my favorite, though, prob- maybe my favorite fact of this whole movie, not only watching and, and just things inside and outside, is that John Candy was up for a Razzie for Eldana for best a- for worst actress.
1: <laughs> love- she doesn't say a word in the movie. Because she
0: can't talk. She's, she's, yeah, she's yeah, mute. Yeah, yeah, she's mute, which is probably a better thing. But um, Fantastic. So yeah, uh, the mansion itself is ninety feet tall. It's it's a destitute place of Armageddon. The uh, family itself thinks they've been uh, downtrodden to some extent. They have, of course, but um, you know that people have been taking advantage of them, and they're they're getting uh, everyone in the world back. Uh, that's even close to their property. So underneath the the ground, it looks like there's this fiery lava, which actually is is foretelling as well. Fiery lava, and they think that uh you know uh thorn who chris thorne who's chevy chase as the character he was in coal commodities or at least his family was and he's in the financial publishing um literature section of life but he is he's not he's a banker he's not he's a he's a a banker he's not taken too lightly because the judge (laughs) thinks of him as a banker um but yeah the the success of like Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and uh, The Great Outdoors and Caddyshack to Driving Miss Daisy even like people I think they just thought they could pretty much do everything and anything at this point uh, and so they go back uh, and my, one of my favorite lines and there's just cheese like absolutely cheesy dad jokes is like they're, when they're driving up Chevy was like oh that's where they buried Flipper as they saw like the neck of a dolphin and the Brazilian air <laughs> in the back I think, was like Flipper's dead <laughs> it's like, of course Flipper's dead uh, I was like, "This is so great." Um, These little throwaway jokes—they
1: just kind yeah. of—they sprinkle the movie with, uh, with like you said, dad humor, which adds exactly. to the the absurdity.
0: So, my um, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I I, I wanted to, because I think we're coming to this. Um, but if if you could think of the perfect dinner. What would you What would you want to start with? Maybe ants on a log, yeah. maybe some maybe a, a touch of some warm Hawaiian punch.
0: So we were that's exactly where we were going, and it was the moment that th- that's the moment I think because um, I think there are multiple waking life moments where the in a waking life moment to me as a definition um, is effectively a moment in a film that encapsulates the feeling, but also it's like a maybe a scene maybe it's a one quick shot I'm kind of like um the idea of this podcast to begin with but something that represents the feeling at least to me in one encapsulated scene is really what it comes down to and that dinner was basically it because it was this disenfranchised family are also eating disenfranchised food hot hawaiian punch and of course chevy is like complaining about the hot hawaiian punch and who else would not but Ants on a log, nasty, and they're eating what seems to be... It's probably human flesh. Yeah, go ahead. Here's how I like them, and I suggest you have them the same way. Go ahead there, folks. Set yourself up a couple of dogs.
1: Just, I mean, that scene where they bring out the... The long white bratwurst, (laughs) and and then you know you got the condiments, but it's it's not a it's it's a moving train set where you can just kind of pick off the condiments you want and put them on the dog. I mean, it was it was pretty gross. It was gross sounding. It was gross visually. You 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 just you had everything.
0: He was uh, stuffing his face, just like when he was like, "You should eat it like me." He was just like, "Like." Mustard is everywhere <laughs> By the way the train was nice enough to like stop in front of him I was like how did they stop the train to get the, the condiments out and he was like Just shove it in your mouth Eat it like me <laughs> yeah, It's good for you <laughs> And after they danced in a log And I was like that's the moment where They should be like we're fucked Which the Brazilianaires They're like we're, we're willing to risk whatever it takes And so they jump out of a window Quite literally We're <laughs> like we're just going to hightail it out of here to, you know, I, we've. This is all about spoilers, I guess, to some extent in this uh, this podcast. They eventually are able to get away until John Candy finds them. Um, they had to swim through <laughs> Sao Paulo, uh, which is <laughs> repeatedly uh, stated in terms of the smell of this river that makes them separate than the house. But they're able to get away, and convince John Candy that they're he's being uh, not utilized in life very well, and they'll pay him back if they let him go. Which you know they actually help each other, which we'll come back to at the very 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 in, but where I get to next and I'll, I'll backstop a little bit. Uh, and we're probably going well over the fact of like my own interpretation of, of this, but Alejandro Jodorowsky, who I is near and dear to my heart, very strange in my opinion, filmmaker, but I was an hour in and that's where I was like, I'm something is wrong with my own head. If I enjoy this so thoroughly, uh, and also it's a 15%. So, you know, clearly other people are not, but like I've, genuinely loved Nothing But Trouble way more than even when I was a childhood. But I think when I saw it when I was a kid, it was that f- one of the first moments, probably the first moment. Um, And I'd have to go back to see when, how old I was. But Monty Python, um, and now for something completely different, I saw that I think in sixth grade. And so it was around the same time that I saw this movie. And so it was almost a back-to-back effort. And I remember thinking, these are not the movies we watch at home. Like, it was over my friend Chris's house, and I was like, these are not, like, I didn't even know this could exist. And this is some weird, like, I don't know if weird is the way to to phrase it, but, or frame it, it's just odd. And I love the oddity of it, and I just wanted to get more into it.
1: Did did it feel kind of like taboo, like you were watching something you weren't supposed to?
0: Yeah, totally. Like, Like, it was. This is
1: the. this is this is not the the Disney Channel you know movie that I, I you know i'm I'm allowed to watch at home this is something
0: well something completely different and now for something completely different and so it, it actually reminded me of other things that i I very much enjoy um and I'm kind of wrapping up to some extent but like sleep no more to me i don't I've been to three or four times and of which a lot of you're either gonna like sleep no more and you're not but I love passionately love sleep no more and it's I don't know what to call it. It's an experimental Broadway play. That's it's not even on Broadway, but it's, it's, I don't want to call it a play, but it's a group of individuals who are actors who three to four times over a three or four hour period or three hour period, um, do different parts of, of a play that are mirrored after various uh, Shakespeare, um, characters but uh, mostly Macbeth and there's a variety of other intimations but it's 90% Macbeth basically and there's a, a final scene that everyone has to get together to, to watch but in essence the actors in three to four levels or maybe even more than that you're able to to freely walk about and be with actors on their stage quite literally with them and there are no rules other than you wearing your own mask and you can't talk and so I and I think this is like an ins- not maybe an inspiration but it kind of ties back into like what else is possible it's kind of like the first time that somebody had their first beer and you're like this beer is pretty good but like what else, else is out there so this addict's mindset almost and so when i went to see sleep no more people are very like cordial and nice like the people watching the masks not, the mm-hmm. actors are just doing their thing and i was like if there are no limitations here, I'm going to see how far I can push this. People would like toss their jackets down. I'd put their jackets on. I'd try to like get, not in their faces because I didn't want to interrupt anything or get too egregious. People would put their glasses that they drank down or their glasses and I would put them on and people would be on a typewriter and I would try to write things next to them. Uh, and it was so fascinating that you can actually be so immersed in this interactive uh, way of life. But it was funny when I started thinking about it and this weirdness of like, how far can we take the weird. Um, and I think Hunter S Thompson is like how far, you know, buy the ticket, take the ride kind of thing. But there's a, there was one moment in sleep no more that I was probably doing this too much. And I was like, Oh, this woman like took me to a back room and like, just, it was just weird. There was a fan blowing on me. She like started blowing on me and like, just was like taking a feather and like putting on my face. And I was like, what is this? First of all. And then I started thinking, I was like, I think they just wanted me to get away. Like from the, the actors, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was just being like an annoyance. I wasn't like in anyone's face, but that's. But
1: you were immersing yourself more than others, right?
0: I was, but probably a little too much. And I think this is why um, I just have this notion in my personality where I'm like, let's see how far we can take this. Let's see how far this goes. And I think that this is, but, this is where that movie is for me.
1: And I mean, just I've I've never heard of that kind of concept of theater, but that sounds that sounds absolutely amazing. And the the, the fact that. That, that lady so eloquently kind of just pulled you away yeah. without disturbing the rest of the show. It just shows you how she's a pro. But I was yeah. like,
0: I have been chosen. And then I, I looked back <laughs> and I was like, no, they just, I was probably chosen because I was annoying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> interacting too much. Yeah. So Chevy basically at this po- point in dinner, which is disgusting, uh, the Brazilian heirs jump out of the window. They flee and Chevy uh, gets locked up and then has that comment about, you know, the, the cuckoo clocks. And so they they try to do their best um, to escape, and everything is planned and set up for them. there's trap doors here and there, clearly they're forcing them like a mousetrap to to get out in the maze so you can see what actually happens next.
1: and there's only one I guess you know one opportunity one way that the judge sees that Chevy Chase can can get get out of this situation
0: and what, what is that way <laughs> Well
1: he does have a, a, a lovely grand great granddaughter granddaughter um
0: know, 106 eldora was it eldora uh, and
1: who, yeah yeah was that her name right and that was Eldana. who Eldana, you're right um but he wants to he wants to set her up um you know and he'll he'll uh you know turn his eye that he's a banker and say hey if you marry my my granddaughter i'll i'll let you off the hook yeah. and so they i mean that's when you know digital underground comes in and they have the wedding and uh they, they, I guess they tie the knot, you know, he agrees to it,
0: which boy, he doesn't agree to it. That's, that's not a good knot. So yeah, they, they, uh, they agree to get married. <laughs> ultimately he reneges as uh digital Negrano let go, and he's asking them for help. And then basically he gets put to death and ultimately goes to, uh, um, what he thinks to be his death, but Mr. Bone Stripper actually has a faulty gear, uh, and he's able to live. And then to make a long story short, because there's a lot of various things, for example, Chevy uh, and Demi, when they actually fall through the floor for the second time, I loved it because it actually reminded me of uh, like the rancer monster in Star Wars where Luke uh, actually had to throw the rock um, to kill the monster. Um, yes. That, that reminded me of that. But it gets into other characters, like even characters that are not even like key to the story, but like Bobo and Little d were just like disgusting nine foot tall monsters who are like... Kid-like and very similar to the Goonies. And this movie to me had a, a Goonies feel um, to some extent. Which Dan,
1: Dan Aykroyd played Bo, Bobo uh, because nobody else would. Just like nobody would want to direct this. Nobody wanted to put on that costume.
0: But for the whole – yeah, they were grotesque. I mean honestly grotesque. But to get to the actual point of, of why I like this movie so much, uh, as if I, I don't have to say anything more, but like, I think it just is near and dear to my heart on what is weird. And this is probably the first origination of like what I could potentially see a, of as a, a movie and the potential of it of just like, hell, let's just see what happens. Like, let's just see what happens. Would, to, to do would, it, would,
1: a, mo- would a movie like this be made today with that kind of budget?
0: Let's pause that for a second uh, because that is my last point that I would like to discuss with you. So okay. I got 65 minutes in right before Digital Underground and I'm like, I want the family to kill everybody. I was so in- intertwined and, and I was just like, let's see what happens, you know, kind of thing. So, so,
1: so I had a question for you here with, sure. with, with the point of that. Who, who, is, who is the hero in this film? Like who is what – is, what is what is this movie trying to say?
0: So I I, I, I don't know who the hero is. Uh there doesn't have to be a hero. I mean I think
1: they're all they, anti-heroes. I mean maybe they set Chevy Chase up as the the main protagonist. But he doesn't really he doesn't have a character arc. He doesn't change. No. There, even at I mean the he end. goes back to
0: even at the end. he <laughs> that last but, scene. But oh, everyone gosh, is is identical. I mean at the end the judge who after basically uh, you know, long story short, they, they eventually escape. They're able to go to the police. The, the police are not believing of the story. And they go back to the mansion, 90 foot tall mansion. And, uh, they're trying to play it off. Like nothing else happened. They knocked on the door. You have to identify them. And there's lots of cops around. And at that moment, um, you realize, well, uh, all the cops are now on the side of, of the family. And they're
1: it's kind of a twist right there. You're like,
0: whoa! Intertwined. <laughs> and so they look around and it's just like, ha, ha, ha. You didn't think we uh, had everyone in our pockets? And then you're like, well, shit, I guess, I guess everyone is going to die now. Um, and then everything goes to shit. The ground, which was foretelling because the lava beneath their feet, uh, starts to, to bubble up. Oil starts to encapsulate people and people just start dying in sinkholes while using the restroom, uh, at that, and so <laughs> oh, they no, no. eventually are able to flee. They hop on a train after being shot at, and finally get away. Where the the movie actually ends with, um, you know, the Brazilianaires that are in Sao Paulo with John Candy and uh, living the good life, or, or so it seems. And it ends on the highest note possible. Where I think, I guess, in my opinion, the the hero of the movie is probably Dan Aykroyd. Just for even putting this together, uh, and the judge finds. Chevy's or, or Chris Thorne's um, license and says he's, he's now going to be moving to New York city to be with him. <laughs> Who's now of course his, his relative, his, his son-in-law or his great, great, great son-in-law. Um, which leads me to the, the question you had. Um, there needs to be a sequel to this. Like, Oh, I would love one. Uh, a thousand percent needs a sequel. Um, and I, I, I think it should be made.
1: Like, with the same tone, the same you know, gross-out humor. Yes. Just, I I think I mean people. From from what I from what I've read, you know, obviously this movie got panned when it came out, but there just with all things, there's been a slow kind of, you know, uh, reassertion of what this movie is and what it, what it means. I, I'm I'm going to read a, actually a a review that I found on Letterbox okay. that I thought was really great. Okay. This is from Tim Tim Cop. Uh, There's a moment in this film when Demi Moore is playing cards with Dan Aykroyd as one of two giant greasy babies in diapers, while Chevy Chase is about to get married to John Candy and Drag, with Digital Underground featuring Tupac doing the wedding march. That's when I knew that all was right with the world.
0: What a great review. There was a... um... There was a similar review of on Reddit that I read that was almost identical to that. Thinking like the guy went in not knowing anything about the movie and was like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever seen," and and, and I, I, it's clearly not the greatest movie direct for a, a variety of reasons. And I think it does deserve to some extent the fifteen percent that it received. But um, I, I, I honestly I love movies like this. I actually think it worked well uh, in all of the ridiculousness, and I legitimately thoroughly enjoyed nothing but trouble way more than I did as a kid. But I want to ask yeah, well, you, my... I want to ask you a question. Yeah. And I want your honest opinion. Like how like how long could you last as like say Chevy's character? Um where you can get out by getting married to John Candy's, you know, or Eldana. You can get out. And you know, take your time, do whatever you think you need to do to, to try to escape. But how long can you last? Could you suck it up? Because you've been kidnapped by a cult, but how long can you last?
1: That's a good question. I mean, you know, never been put in that situation before. Um, trying to, you know, knowing what I know from watching the movie, um, you know, I don't think I could survive uh, on warm Hawaiian punch and ants on a log um, for, for an extended amount of time. But that said, you know, uh, if I was Chevy Chase and I saw everything that was happening around me self uh, self preservation is the key and I, I you know i would i would have to tie the knot with uh, the Beautiful. the lovely eldona El have to do it i mean well, w- what about you
0: i think uh, well with the writing on the wall at the dinner and um you're probably under the assumption that your friends have now been murdered and as well like you've, you're hearing a lot of things of, which which sound like murder um so murder's on the the agenda and you're dealing with some psychopaths like Texas chainsaw massacre with a funny twist to it. So I'm, I'm sucking it up. I'm, I'm marrying Aldana doing what I need to do and and finding a way out. Um, but then maybe you got Stockholm syndrome. Maybe you're like, this is a lot of fun. Um, talking to Bobo and little, (laughs) maybe you you get into it. Maybe your, your weirdness, um, uh, comes out. But I, I ultimately think, um, it's just the most wild Hunter S Thompson acid trip that you could pretty Like you can't think of something that's, that's weirder. I mean, I'm sure there are movies that are weirder, but on a scale of like one to 10, this is 10.
1: That's why I wish, I wish, you know, I think after this movie, Dan Aykroyd didn't get a lot of, I mean, a lot of leeway with uh, future projects. I think he did Coneheads after this, yeah. not the greatest film. Um, and yeah, his, I mean, he peaked in the eighties and then this came and, it just, you know, I would have loved to see, see more of this from his mind. Like this was, yeah. this was, this was wild. And I'll, I'll be honest, like I went into this movie, like, you know, I, I wanted to come in and and just try and find find ways to to hate this movie. And there there is definitely a lot of like facets where this movie is truly truly awful. But being being immersed in that in that that world, that movie, and 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 it just. Like I said, it blew my mind and I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I did too. I, um, I actually was just like Googling movies. What, what other movies are as ridiculous as, but there's, there's not a lot that come to mind. But anyway, that's my, yeah, stick. So, that's my stick. I love this movie. So my, it's great.
1: So my, my guilty pleasure, um, you know, I didn't debate about this at all. I, I, kind, of, I it kind of went right for it because I knew, I knew exactly what was on my mind. I said, hey, drop dead Fred. I looked up the the Rotten Tomato score, eleven percent. I was like, perfect. This is <laughs> this is this is great. And I was like, kind of shocked at that eleven percent because, like, I you know, I, I from what I remember, like this this movie got a pretty wide release. It you know, it, I think it made made money at the box office, but it was just critically panned and shat on by critics. It was not. It was, it, yeah, it, was, it was not favorably, favorably reviewed at all. Uh, but I'll kind of get into the movie here. Yeah. Um, so Drop Dead Fred, 1991, directed by Et De Jong. Um, and it's starring Phoebe Cates and Rick Maya Mayal. Uh, he is uh, the titular Fred, and she's Elizabeth. Um, and Elizabeth, we find her as an adult, and everything in her life is falling apart, right? Her husband is cheating and wants a divorce, we see her car getting broken into and her money stolen and then somebody else comes and steals her car and then she loses her job and then she has to move back in with her mother, Polly. So she's back at her childhood home. She finds an old Jack in the box, kind of winds it up, doesn't think much of it. And as she's sleeping out comes drop dead Fred. So drop dead Fred was her imaginary childhood friend, right? Um, Fred is upset that Elizabeth is now an adult, and the first act of defiance is taking dog shit and defecating all over the clean carpet, which she was told not to enter in. There was actually a little uh, a
0: rope,
1: a, a, a rope saying "Do not come into this room." Um,
0: as he walks on his the pre- hands to to do to do so as well.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, and so Fred, we, we get told Fred can't leave until Elizabeth is happy as an adult. And she thinks, you know, happiness is getting back with Charles which, which is her husband. Um, so we follow her and Fred through a, a journey of self discovery and the antics from her childhood as flashbacks. So that's kind of, that's basically the movie. I won't kind of go into more of the, the, the plot and the details and things like that. But my first question is how was this film appropriate for me to watch as a child?
0: Yeah, I don't know <laughs> because I thought the same thing. Uh, I did think of it as, um, Unnecessarily rough uh, on the mental aspect, even even now. But like, I, I think in the '90s, things mental health didn't exist. And like, yeah, and I, also I, like, I,
1: it wasn't mainstream for sure. It wasn't mainstream.
0: It did well. And, Six and a half million, um, you know, budget, and then twenty four million box office. It did pretty well.
1: Yeah. So it made its money. And I mean, I I remember watching this as a kid and what, what I, from what I remember and what I took away is like, I love the idea of, you know, an imaginary friend being so wild and crazy and, and, you know, all the antics that they do, they, they, you know, when she's a kid, they become, they're, they're, they're burglars and they, you know, steal from the house and uh, all of these, they make a mud pie. Um, So as a kid, like all, all of those funny, you know, wild things that you see on the screen from Drop Dead Fred translate to funny right when yeah. i watched this as an adult i didn't i didn't really laugh that much yeah. <laughs> like no. the, these are two different viewing experiences and that's kind of like that's what's wild to me about this movie so i feel you know what the critics didn't get at the time is like all these critics were watching this as an adult yeah and and as a kid i loved the movie because it was just so wild and zany yep. and funny yeah um,
0: you didn't understand the, the thing undertones thing-
1: Oh, I didn't under- I didn't understand Drop dead Fred sliding on the floor looking up her his mom's dress and yeah. saying cobwebs <laughs> like <laughs> I was 7 years old I'm not going to understand that but and then as an adult I mean that's just a kind of a crude yeah. lame joke but but watching this now 30 years later you know this what this movie achieves is like really the themes of childhood trauma and what that You know, what that that does to a person and having that trauma, you know, come back into your life after a series of events that just upend your life. You know, you lose your your husband, you lose your job like she's having a mental
0: breakdown. She had a she had a mental break for sure. Yeah. Yeah. a 100 percent.
1: So. It's, uh, it's, I I mean, I can't, I don't think I can be as eloquent as you with uh, nothing but trouble. Um,
0: (laughs) I was wondering where you're going to take this because after watching it, I was like, God, holy shit. This is, um, that was tough to kind of get through. It wasn't easy. It was. Yeah. I felt unhappy after. Whereas watching it as a kid, I was like super happy because I had no idea that life is like that. At least it's something. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the scenes with, uh, with her and, you know, as an adult and like, you know, she's on that, um, that restaurant scene with, with Mickey, her, her old, her real childhood friend who kind of has a crush on her and, you know, seeing her do that physical comedy where Fred is, you know, is there and messing with her and things like that. I think Phoebe Cates is fantastic in this movie.
0: She's I think awesome. She did a yeah, she's fantastic. Great def- job. Yeah, they, they definitely chose correctly on that. Um I mean, she's wildly successful at that at that moment. Um past times at Ridgemont High. I mean, put her on the map uh big time. But I mean, as well as uh, sundry of other movies. But like Drop Dead Fred was actually going to be originally uh Robin Williams, uh, which I found I found super interesting. Yeah. Um
1: this, directed by Tim Burton, but they they passed on the project. Yeah,
0: see, that would have been that would have been a totally different movie a totally different movie which uh it would have been very nice to to see um i but this movie it's interesting because like the amount of in the 90s and 80s like used car salesmen as characters was like so high i th- I, I i can't even name others but like i just want to i want to say it, it's it seemed very high but as an adult going through the movie i just thought I mean, it's clear she's created an imaginary person because she's having a mental break. Uh, She had a mental break when she was a kid. She has having a mental break later. And it's all in relation to dealing with issues of life's hardships with her mom, who has brought on, you know, varieties of ways to make her feel bad uh, about herself and her own childhood memories. Uh, And she's, you know, not successful emotionally, physically, financially, and, and things like that. And, you know, the conjecture of you know i don't want to bide your time or kill the time here but like the the conjecture of like fred and his activities is basically her own desire to act out against her mother
1: 100% yeah i mean as a as a kid i i feel like we get the sense that you know uh, she didn't get a lot of attention she was an only child her parents were going through a divorce her her dad leaves Um, and she's reaching out, she's crying for help. And she creates this, this imaginary friend, drop dead Fred to, to cope with that and to act out and to, you know, be, you know, this, uh, the, this person, her, her, who her mom can see, you know, Polly, even in that one scene, it's gotta be heartbreak because, you know, young Elizabeth is six years old. They just made a mud pie and everything like that. And her mom says, uh, sometimes I don't love you as much as I used to. Yeah, that. And she's six years old. Yeah, that. That's. I mean, that's got to be something so traumatic as a as a as a young child to hear that from your 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 mother. Yeah, it's also. Uh, so of course, of course, she creates Drop Dead Fred. And you know, what is what happens with uh, Drop Dead Fred when she's a kid is she gets. It she gets put into the the jack in the box, and it's covered with that masking tape, right? And I think, and uh, I'll come back to that masking tape in a little bit, but it gets covered with ma- masking tape, and she has to forget about drop dead Fred. And she, she, her, Polly found out what would hurt her, which was putting away drop dead Fred. Yeah. and she said, "I'm never going to let my my mother." hurt me again that way. So she just forgot about him. And then when does he resurface when she has another traumatic instance in her adult life?
0: Um, opens the I j- think this, the jack, yeah, it opens him back up
1: and the Jack in the box. But I, I think this, I think the script was great. Um, I think this movie is it, 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 The reason why it didn't succeed succeed was because it couldn't, it was, it was, it was basically, two different halves, right? You have the zany childhood half and you have the serious traumatic half. And those two just, they, 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 they don't fit together in a, in, a, in a cohesive film. But me watching as an adult, I, I mean, I, I was actually, re- I was really moved by it. I was.
0: Yeah, it's, it is moving, I would say in a negative way, emotionally. But how did you feel towards uh, the end or the <laughs> ending itself, um, which is a fascinating ending, uh, but I think needs to be The noted. dream scene? Yeah, the dream scene and then what happens after the dream scene. So thoughts? the
1: dream scene, I I was I was, you know, I was I was touched by that a lot. Like she she is facing all of her demons. She sees Charles in the in the car. She walks up the steps and, you know, her mom Polly is blocking the door saying, "You can't come in here." And Fred's standing right by her side and she says say, say the magic words. Yeah. Say the magic words. And she says, "I'm not afraid of you." And her mom just Billows up in flame. Yeah, she wa- she walks into the room and what does she find? She finds herself, young Elizabeth, taped to the bed in that masking tape. She peels it off, and comforts her. She comforts her as a child, which is what she needed. And you know, drop dead Fred did his did his job. She she found the happiness. She found the the peace. And then she has to confront her mom in real life. And. I thought that scene was really touching as well, where, you know, she, Elizabeth says, I, "I'm leaving. I'm not staying here," and she's like, well, "I'll be lonely." <laughs> yeah. She says, "Mom, get a friend."
0: Yeah. That was one of my I favorite that lines. Great. That was one of my favorite lines of the movie. Um, I did love that. I I have to just point out of all movies if there was like a top 50 like biggest cunts of movies list charles has got to be so high on that list like he is just like her husband ex-husband whatever he is just i don't know in the you you couldn't make this movie now and have that character be the character he is and also like he's horrible horrible and the way he treats his wife and is just like cheating around like, it, it's just uh, what a horrible.
1: Well, the, the reason why he was like, able to treat Elizabeth that way is because she was still a girl child, uh, uh, you know, a girl child or a woman child she was not fully developed and she was not able to stand up for herself and see how wrong this, this guy really was. Like, look at the way that she dressed. Yeah. She dressed like a conservative Mormon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like a, like there's anything child. wrong with that, Stephen.
1: No, there's not. But you know, I'm just saying it's, it, it, she was dressed as a uh, basically from her childhood and she never grew into her, her adulthood. Yeah, And even when she was like flirting and trying to, flirt with charles in the kitchen it seemed like she was still a child and she didn't understand the way that the world works
0: because she was, was. fascinating i mean she's dealing with a lot of mental issues and then having mental breaks but yeah it's kind of how my mom dressed in 1991 i would say <laughs> 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 but she, she didn't have any mother issues that i know of um yeah other than the fact that my grandmother didn't know us when she was dying and knew our dog uh which still affects me now Rebound. oh wow no. uh. um so, I mean, I guess quantifiably, um, uh, and I was always interested to see what you had to say here in, in your thoughts. But, like, what would you say is a, the, I, I guess, the more guilty pleasure?
1: So, after reviewing these two films, you know, the and and what constitutes a guilty pleasure, right? The guilty pleasure is something that you, you are really, you know you defend to your, to, to your grave that you like that, other you know, other people yeah. or most, most people do not like, uh, whether yeah. that's, you know, um, a movie, a book, a uh, reality TV, whatever it is. But you know, this, uh, you know, drop dead Fred, if I, sh- if I showed it, if I showed it to somebody that had never watched it, I don't know what they would think. I don't think they would like it. <laughs>
0: Probably not.
1: But I think but I think if I showed nothing but trouble to somebody, said, hey, watch this, just you know, check it out.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I, I I think that I think they're gonna they're gonna be, be in for the ride. Cause I think Drop Dead Fred, you have to be in a certain mood to watch it. It's not something that it's like I said, the the emotional weight of that film, the emotional themes of childhood trauma, it's I mean they tackle it. <laughs> it's 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 tough.
0: Yeah, it's um it was very tough. I watched it last night, and there was a couple times I was like, I, "This is uh, it's, this is really depressing, like very bad."
1: Would you would you let would you let a child watch <laughs> that that film? No. <laughs> like.
0: It is z- zany is the word I would use. I mean, Drop Dead Fred is continually uh, continuously in green. Um, I love the the very end of it though, where uh, he gets a new friend to be with, uh, and somebody that uh, is very close to Elizabeth as well. So Elizabeth gets. To not see Drop Dead Fred, but gets to see the ramifications, I guess, of Drop Dead Fred. Uh,
1: so that's my that's my question with this movie, like how they how they interpret Drop Dead Fred. Is he is he real real in the sense of is he this kind of guardian angel sent down to to uh, a troubled person, a young girl, or you know whatever, or is he just? Uh, a manifestation of childhood trauma. He's a manifestation of
0: childhood trauma. And basically the demons that we cannot deal with. If you don't have someone to support you or talk to you. Yeah. That's,
1: that's your stance.
0: That's my stance. And I I think, uh, I think if you were to take like a, uh, if you were to take a different perspective of it and not the mental health perspective, I think it actually would be a better movie, but I gotta, I gotta say guilty pleasure. I mean, hands down, nothing but trouble is like far superior. Um, However, I knew why you picked this because, I mean, we've talked about this movie for years. And I know, I think you used to watch it with your sister. If maybe,
1: yeah, yeah, we, I, I mean, this
0: we, was like a big deal for you. So, like, when you chose it, I was like, oh, I know why. But I was like, I've seen this recently, or at least a quarter of it. And I was like, this is going to be interesting.
1: I hadn't, hadn't seen it in years. Yeah, I was like, like, since I was a child. I stopped at six so, minutes
0: and I was like, I can't, this is depressing, man. Like, real depressing. <laughs> like, I can't watch this.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, like I said, those themes, it's just I mean, w- there's a one quote here uh that Polly is talking to Elizabeth as a child and she's like, "Did they live happily ever after?" "Of course, Elizabeth." "Well, how do you know?" "Because she was a good little girl. If she would have been naughty, the prince would have run away." What a pile of shit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which, which she repeats later in the movie, which I loved.
1: Uh, and then this is, this, is, this is the classic Fred line right here. Oh,
0: my God. Is it? It is. The mega bitch. <laughs> it's the mom. It's the mom.
1: Well, when, when she's a kid, she's the mega beast.
0: Oh, that's so when right. She's an that's adult, right. Fair she's, point.
1: She's the mega bitch. So he does tame it down. He he knows what's what you know what's going on, uh, what's PG and PG thirteen. He's I guess. socially aware. He's socially, socially
0: aware of his yeah, surroundings. Yeah. yeah but
1: what did you think of that performance of Rick Mail?
0: It was great. Um, I mean, he was. I don't know if he was sticking to the script, but I know it. And um, the late eighties and early nineties, he he definitely was uh, trying a new type of comedy. Um, but I think I think he was great. I, I I don't see Robin Williams would have been fantastic in it. Um, I don't see a lot of people that can actually pull that character off well in that time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I mean, he was, yeah, he was on the, this uh, sketch comedy show called the young ones uh, in the late eighties, early nineties. And it was kind of this very indie punk rock kind of comedy that he was doing. And this was his first big role. And uh, you know, I, I thought, I thought he captured, you know, what, what that, that, that kind of mania, crazy wild, you know, Imaginary friend was supposed to be, so I thought he did. It. I thought he did a good job. But as your point, you know, guilty pleasures. What was more pleasurable for me to watch? It had to be nothing but trouble. I mean, yeah. I mean even though there was a lot of gross-out moments, nothing but trouble was just kind of like just a treat. Like I just, I kind of smiled the entire time. Yeah,
0: that's that's where I was, just smiling. And I it got to the end. I'm like, how? It, like this is completely set up for a sequel. Clearly, like that's how uh, everyone want, or not everyone. One person wanted it to be, but it needs uh somebody needs just bankroll this. I mean, even fifty million now yeah. you could you can make this movie. You don't have to buy as many toasters. Just...
1: now you're saying a sequel? Would would we would we get the same cast or would we would we
0: re uh re, revise it? I mean Well John Candy's not think... around, but Dan Demi Dan he might not Demi need the makeup anymore. He could just are there God, that would be good. Same cast, yeah. You can get a new cop. Get a new cop. That would be fantastic. (laughs) I mean, it would be unbelievable. Like, I I honestly, like, at the end, I was like, I need a sequel to this. Like, this is set up for a sequel. How is this not a sequel? Um,
1: So we cut to, you know, Chevy Chase and having his father-in-law, the judge, living with him. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, they're years older, unless you want to do some de-aging CGI technology, uh, as seen in The Irishman. But no, I mean a sequel would be fantastic. But
0: they're rich. They're rich now because all the oil That's true. Yeah. At, at Dalconvania. And then
1: they could they could build their own their own funhouse mansion that's ninety seven feet tall. And then Yeah.
0: And then Chevy has like you know, gets hit in the head by by the judge and like wow, this does sound like a good idea. We do have a hundred million dollars to spend on a ninety seven foot mansion. Why don't we why don't we why don't we try this out the Jersey triangle. I, I mean, I, I honestly would love it. Um, it'd be fantastic. And eventually, by the way, as you see all these nice, um, these movie posters, they are going to be up and eventually I will have uh, a nicer mic. This echo will go away. We will get
1: this is our second episode. You know, we, uh, I think, I think we're, we're, ironing out all the wrinkles and kind of figuring it out as we go. But, you know, this has been fun. I, I enjoy talking about these two
0: movies. It's been lovely. And so uh, we are on all social media platforms, I believe. There's Instagram mostly. But YouTube, we are now on. Uh, you can watch this video. So uh, Spotify, as of, as of now, is just going to be on, on the audio section of things. But as Scene Weekly, and if you have any questions, go to admin at Scene Weekly uh, to, to write us an email. Questions, comments, concerns, uh, how good, terrible we are. That'd be lovely. Or ideas for um, next week's episode, which we frankly don't even have one. But I will i, I will say this. As we discussed, or I realized today, somebody, I sent us our, our first episode, which is uh, last week's Planet of the Apes versus Wicker Man. Uh,
1: twist Endings.
0: Twist Endings. Yeah. I sent that to a friend of mine, Kyle. And Kyle uh, responded with... Um, that's cool, bro. But um, 90% of podcasts I heard uh, end after one episode. And so I actually looked it up because I was like, there's no way that, that exists. It's actually 90% of, of podcast episodes end our after three episodes. So
1: this we're over halfway there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Look at and that. This is two. We already have an idea for pretty much another 20. So uh, if you make it to 20 um, or 21, you're basically of the one percentile. So we, we just have to get another, I can't do math, 19, basically.
1: Yeah, 19. Yeah. We're, we're, we're practically there. Anyway, uh, uh, if you have any thoughts,
0: comments, concerns, um, let us know. But hopefully this is not Perfect. nothing but trouble. Was It was a ride. It was such a ride. And I also love it when, uh, oh. Drop the beat, Jay.
1: What do you love?
0: I love the fact that like in movies, they say the actual title of the movie, Nothing But Trouble, when Demi Moore said it. nothing but trouble. She she went to sleep when she was making out with him on the couch. Uh, And then like, Family Guy is an episode where like, they pause when they say the movie's title in the movie and like, ah! That's exactly (laughs) what I did when I heard it. I was like, oh, there it is! That's great.
1: Well, they said drop dead Fred a lot of times yeah. in my movie, so. Yeah, you win.
0: You win a lot. There you go. All right, we're out. We're out. Till next week, everybody. Bye bye.